Sarah Fellow. And I'm Lindsay Ware. We are Hawkeye and Linz. You're listening to the UMass IPM Fruit Loop, the podcast component of our Extension's fruit team newsletter, Healthy Fruit. Today is May 12th, 2020. Our goal is to keep you in the loop and provide you with the ability to listen to the most up-to-date healthy fruit news while you go about your day. Welcome. Current degree day accumulations are based on data recorded at the University of Massachusetts Cold Spring Orchard in Belchertown, Massachusetts. As of May 11th, using a base of 43 BE, we've accumulated 328 degree days. That's basketball Eman, by the way. That's how we calculate the degree days. New estimates by Monday, May 18th, we will have reached 416 degree days, base 43 BE. Macintosh petalfall is set to occur between 439 and 523 degree days, base 43. Lens is reporting live from the current bud stage. Yes, from where I'm standing, which has a striking resemblance to my backyard, Macintosh apple continues to headline now in King Bloom. Honeycrisp apple on tour with Macintosh at first King Bloom. Pizzazz apple following suit on the side stage and so on. Crispy pear in late bloom and starting to shed those petals. Red Haven peach and Rainier cherry are doing the same. Let's go backstage and talk with Hawkeye about important pest events coming your way. What should we be looking out for the most at this point? Lots of things going on. Right now, these pests should be on your radar. Remember, we're at 328 degree days, base 43. European red mite egg hatch is underway and nearly complete. Green fruitworm flight is subsiding. Lesser appleworm first catch is underway. Predator mites have been observed. Red-banded leaf roller first flight should be reaching peak. Spotted tentiform leaf miner's first flight is also at its peak. All right, there are several opportunities to talk about all of these things more in depth. Get ready to mark your calendars as I announce meetings. First, the fruit team hosted its third Zoom Twilight meeting Thursday, May 14th. Presentations from this meeting can be found on the UMass Extension's fruit team YouTube channel. Second, the UMass vegetable team and the UMass fruit team are co-sponsoring another Zoom Twilight meeting on Wednesday, May 20th at 6 p.m. A grower forum of sorts on marketing adaptations in light of COVID-19. Hawkeye, this looks pretty informative given the undeniably different set of circumstances growers are facing during the pandemic. I think it will be very informative. We'll talk with a few farms who have already made decisions and get an idea of how that's working out for them. It's a good way for growers to compare notes. Great, unique times call for unique solutions. You can find links to both of these Zoom Twilights in this week's Healthy Fruit. You're listening to the UMass IPM Fruit Loop. Stay tuned. Okay, it's time to see things John's way. And since I cannot pass up a good line, I will quote John's opening in his weekly briefing. After mostly dodging several bullets, we may finally be out of the woods, he said. Uh, confession, Hawkeye and I got a few chuckles from this. As we morphed the newsletter into a script, Hawkeye made some comments. What was that you said again? <laughs> I don't think I should repeat that in polite company, but I would say almost only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. 
That was terrible. <laughs> a comic relief is near vital when editing. That's a whole nother story. Back to John's point of view. Zestar are entering Petal Fall. Bloom is robust generally, with the exception of a few off Honeycrisp block. No apparent frost or freeze damage. We've yet to drop below 30 degrees Fahrenheit at UMass Cold Spring Orchard. Where it's been colder though, some damage has been observed. Be sure to check your apple blossoms to make sure they are whole and adjust post-bloom crop load management accordingly if damage is noted. You'll also want to call your crop insurance agent if you have one. A promalin or perlan application can help set fruit even if the ovary is damaged. One to two pints per acre within 24 hours of the frost event, but wait until things have thawed out. An NAA spray at 10 parts per million, so that's four ounces per 100 gallons, bloom to petal fall to initiate thinning is always a good idea, particularly on Honeycrisp. Getting peachy with it, let's hope those peaches set a crop. Weather has been pretty lousy during bloom, as John points out, but he's also right to point out that peaches are resilient. <laughs> Moving forward, let's hope things warm up. This will encourage good apple pollination during bloom and permit us to commiserate about thinning. Finally, John suggested that you listen to this podcast if you didn't want to fall asleep reading healthy fruit. I, for one, love reading healthy fruit. It's certainly better than numerous news articles. Anyway, that's how John sees it. Now, let's go get buzzed. As we talk. <laughs> I don't know, Lindsay. It's a little early in the day for that. <laughs> hey, way ahead of you. No, I'm playing. <laughs> Cider does go with every meal. That's right. That's right. Good for breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> it was good enough for John Adams. It's good enough for me. As we touched on earlier, a lot happening in the insect world. Here's Jaime's insect update. <laughs> European apple sawfly are hot on the scene. Two adults were captured at Cold Spring Orchard. They can, <laughs> they can do some damage. Egg laying results in russeted spiral scars on fruit. Larvae then tunnel into the fruit and feast. After they are full, they exit fruit, leaving holes lined with reddish brown frass and a strong odor. They really stink. Larvae feed on multiple fruits in a cluster, and damage occurs more often when bloom time is extended, delaying petal fall insecticide applications. And how should we monitor for them? Uh, use rectangular sticky white traps placed at head height on the south side of the tree, within 18 inches of its drip line. Traps should be near a large group of blossoms, but remove blossoms within 12 inches of the trap. You'll need a minimum of five traps per block. If you made a pre-bloom insecticide application, the threshold is an average of nine sawflies per trap. If you have not made an insecticide application, the action threshold is an average of five per trap by petal fall. We have an update on plum curculio as well, right, Hawkeye? Oh yeah, you bet we do. We're always PC around here. Jaime <laughs> 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 wrote about the significance of petal fall spray in combat against these pests. The efficacy of such management strategies is influenced by weather conditions during the egg laying period, level of PC pressure, and timing of sprays. Activity and overposition are greatly affected by temperature. Adults are more or less inactive when it's below 50 degrees. So during a cool spring, like this one, movement and overposition may be drawn out for four to six weeks. In warmer seasons, the overposition period may be relatively short, two to three weeks. Hmm. 
I can relate. Me too. And the plot thickens. If the days before and after petal fall are at least 80 degrees Fahrenheit, the petal fall spray can be expected to kill the bulk of the population. However, when it's cool and rainy, the Plunkerculio prolong their egg-laying period. This can work in their favor as it makes insecticide applications difficult. The take-home, do not delay petal fall spray. These pests can do a lot of damage in just a couple of days. There are some post-petal fall management options for PC. For more details on those perimeter row sprays, odor-baited traps, Cornell's heat-based overposition model, huh, you get the gist. Go to Healthy Fruit and stay in the loop. Thank you, Hawkeye. Next, we'll talk diseases with Hawkeye. Stay tuned. So, just like Lens needs comic relief while editing, I need it while counting spores. Tuesday was a spore counting day, and man, were there a lot to count. Lens, how did you survive all that spore counting? Uh, okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I hum that old Statler Brothers tune, you know, um, except I'd insert my own words. Counting spores, I'm off the wall. That don't bother me at all. <laughs> I love it. That's great. Yeah, except for me, after counting a total of about 5,534 ascospores today, it does bother me some. A mother load of ascospores means me. scab risk is high with long enough wetting periods. It's a good time to bring out the effective systemic fungicides. Scab pressure is high and spraying conditions are awful with all the wind. Dr. Dan Cooley writes in this week and tells us the SDHIs alone, the QOIs, or premixes of both are not only very good against scab, but will pick up mildew and rust. To manage resistance, add the low recommended rate of mancozeb and make sure to rotate materials. NUA is typically ahead of both our observations and RIMPRO in ascospore maturity estimates. NUA estimates accumulated maturity at 75% to 100%, depending on the location and mass. RIMPRO is estimating about 60% mature. Based on observations and experience, it's unlikely that maturity is near 100% anywhere in Massachusetts. If we were at 100% ascospore maturity, scab season would be over, and we're not there yet. It's more likely that we will be seeing significant numbers of ascospores released in rains for at least the next seven to 10 days. Dan also tells us that people have been wondering whether there's a risk of fire blight now with bloom and some rain, and in some places a little hail. The short answer is no. Over the last week, temperatures have rarely gotten above 60 and have plunged down to freezing or below. That means that the Erwinia bacteria in flowers and on other apple surfaces, the EIP, is zero. The cold has done them in. It's very similar to a few years ago when in spite of heavy inoculations in our tests, the weather was too cold for the bacteria to grow and infect. Keep an eye on the weather as the situation can change quickly if temperatures warm into the highs of 70 to 80 and nights don't get down below 50. And for Pseudomonas? Well, every now and again, we have a bloom time that's just right for blossom blast caused by Pseudomonas syringae. We're in the midst of such a season. Unlike Erwinia with fire blight, this bacterium does its damage during cold, wet bloom periods. These frosty temperatures that we have been experiencing are just what is needed to cause the bacterium to do damage. The symptoms look very uncomfortably like those caused by Erwinia, often leading growers finding dieback to be concerned about a fire blight outbreak. And how do we proceed if symptoms are observed? First, stop. And remember, temperatures have not been conducive to fire blight. 
cut out affected tissue as it may otherwise become an entry point for opportunistic fungi later in the season. You can use overhead irrigation during free vents and reduce uh, damage that way as well. Now that we've piqued your interests with pests and diseases, we can initiate you into the horticult, really? Lens. <laughs> what, too much? It's a stretch, I know. But if you do decide to join the horticult, be forewarned, most loved ones may get bored with your plant talk. You're likely to feel more socially distant than the average human, even these days. And the chances of showing up to family dinner with tree parts in your hair are high. I can't help but wonder if we made it official, could we get a bell out for our organization? Something like real help for growers without a metric ton of paperwork? Food for thought. Send membership dues to Healthy Fruit and get our weekly newsletter hot off the press. <laughs> All right, that whatever. Was great. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Anyways, this week, Dr. Green has continued to give us the skinny on thinning. Fuller than average weather has delayed flower development. In most orchards, we're not beyond petal fall. This being the case, the thinning information <laughs> in last week's healthy fruit is still relevant for now. But with warmer weather on the horizon, there's opportunity to make bloom and petal fall thinning applications this weekend and next week. Who knows what the weather will do later next. down the line. Proceed with caution. There's a few things to consider. Frost in some regions call for an inspection. Where flower damage is visible, take conservative measures. If cool temperatures continue, as NUA estimates, thinning will be difficult at best. For more of Dr. Green's tips on thinning and a review on thinning options with available hormone sprays, go to this week's issue of Healthy Fruit. You'll, you'll also get a chance to read up on improvements made to Malusim, Cornell's apple carbohydrate thinning model. John wrote an informative short piece on the model's improvements this week. Malusim is a tool that can help make effective chemical thinning applications based on predicted thinning efficacy. You'll wanna know about the changes made to this model. Fortunately, John talked about this on our Zoom Twilight meeting Thursday, May 14th. And you can find that talk on UMass Extension's Fruit Team YouTube channel. If we didn't see you at the Twilight meeting Thursday, remember you can check out all of our talks, not just John's, on the UMass Extension Fruit Team YouTube channel. I think it's about time for Sonia Says. Lens? Indeed, time for the small fruit update brought to you by Sonia Schulman. Let's play Sonia Says. Sonia Says cold weather resulted in some at or near bloom berry crop damage. This includes row covered strawberries and early blueberries. The extent of the damage is unclear at this point. Many strawberry growers were successful in irrigating for frost protection, but difficulty with the wind left behind spotty damage and new plantings are going in. Sonia says, June bearing strawberries continue to grow. Flower trusses are fully visible in the crowns and beginning to extend and expand. Row covered fields are also in bloom. Frequent weddings in cold conditions and already saturated soils ignites risk of root problems in prone fields. Sonia says bacterial angular leaf spot may also be an issue if frequent wetting periods continue through bloom. If this is a concern, get those copper sprays on before bloom. Brambles are leafing out with four to six inches of shoot growth showing in most varieties. Flower buds are visible in early floricane varieties. Sonia says blackberries are further along. 
New primocanes are up in many varieties and it's a good time to fertilize. Blueberries are in the pink, pink to blue. Make sure to have those pollination services in place and ready to roll. Of course, mummy berry remains a threat where there's visible shoot strikes. To top it off, as bushes enter the bloom period, botrytis blossom blight and anthracnose infection periods are a concern. Sonia says frost damage, even sublethal, can predispose tissue to infection. Prompt use of fungicide materials with some transliminar or kickback activity is recommended. See the current New England Small Fruit Management Guide for recommendation. Note the PHIs for some materials as they may not have what it takes for early season varieties. As we enter bloom, pheromone traps for cranberry fruitworm and cherry fruitworm should be put out so biofix can be set. Wow, things are in full swing, aren't they? Let's hear about what's on the vine. You bet, and for the record, I miss being in the fields. So I'm not there myself, but I've heard through the grapevine, grape buds are swelling and pushing out new shoots. Sonia says this will accelerate with approaching warm weather. Exciting as it may be, rapid shoot growth comes along with some challenges. New tissue exposed after spray application causes issues with fungicide coverage. The time between bud break and bloom is important for disease management. Be on the lookout for Fromopsis, downy mildew, powdery mildew, and black rot. See last week's issue of New England Grape Notes for a good article on early season disease management. <sighs> Hawkeye, you're right, I miss it. Say la vie. A little time in Hawkeye's Corner should cheer me up. So we'll uh, start Hawkeye's Corner off with a bit of harbinger of sorrow and move over to a high note. Last year we had Phomopsis outbreaks in our apples. Uh, most of those should have been pruned out, but if you missed anything, it's going to be really obvious now because the rest of your trees are going to have leafed out where those infected branches and twigs will still be very obviously dead. You're gonna to wanna to cut those dead branches out below the canker so that they don't cause new infections in this year's green tissue. Paracilla nymphs are beginning to emerge at this point. They're in their first instar, they're really tiny, but if you've had Scylla in the past, they are there, keep your eyes out. And remember, you wanna treat for Scylla before they reach the hard shell stage, otherwise they become very difficult to kill with insecticides. On our high note, with everyone worried about bees, we're still seeing them out and about. Never underestimate the power of your native pollinators. It might be a little cold and wet for honeybees, but those native pollinators are hardier than that. Thank you for listening to the UMass IPM Fruit, podcast component of Extension's fruit team newsletter, Healthy Fruit. We'd also like to mention there's a guest article from tree fruit specialist Amanda Green in this week's online issue. Thank you, Ms. Green. Thank you to all members of the fruit team, all the growers, and to our sponsors. OESCO, Orchard Equipment and Supply Company, Norse Farms, the New England Vegetable and Berry Growers Association, and the Massachusetts Fruit Growers Association. The next healthy fruit will be published on or about May 19th. In the meantime, Feel free to contact any of us on the UMass Fruit Team if you have any fruit-related production questions. We'll end this episode with a Wendell Berry quote. Farmers farm for the love of farming. They love to watch and nurture the growth of plants. They love to live in the presence of animals. They love to work outdoors. 
They love the weather, maybe even when it's making them miserable. They love to live where they work and work where they live. If the scale of their farming is small enough, they like to work in the company of their children and with the help of their children. They love the measure of independence that farm life can still provide. I have an idea that a lot of farmers have gone to a lot of trouble merely to be self-employed, to live at least a part of their lives without a boss. On that note, be safe and be well. This has been the UMass IPM Healthy Fruit Loop. All right, Thanks. you feel good about it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>